Welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For this show, we usually have three co-hosts, myself, Mary Haddix-Hermans, Shamram Kunas, and our friend Hunter Sagona. Hunter, Mary, and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, dot, 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 and everything in between. And our quote of the day, the quote of the day, is nothing other than, all together now, let, let do the time, time warp again. again. <laughs> if you didn't catch that, it's let's do the time warp again. You'll <laughs> uh, in the cult classic, that said quote is from Sweetheart's Brad, who in the film was played by Barry Bostwick, and Janet, played by a very young and unknown Susan Sarandon, stuck with a flat tire during a storm, discover an eerie mansion, um, which is the residence of Dr. Frank N. Furter, uh, played by none other than the legendary Tim Curry. Uh, and Frank N. Furter is a transvestite scientist. As their innocence is lost, Brad and Janet meet a house full of wild characters, including a rocking biker, played by the late Meatloaf, and creepy butler, Richard O'Brien, through elaborate dances and rock songs, Frank Enferter unveils his latest creation, a muscular man named Rocky. So we are going to talk, in case you couldn't tell from those particular details, that we are going to talk about none other than the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Woo! Um, which I'm sure we are all very excited about. I'm sure many people are wondering, dear God, why would you do that? So <laughs> we got both ends of the spectrum. Yes. So with that, we will start. All right. And if you're still with us, thanks for, you know, tuning into this podcast today. Again, we are talking about this incredible production, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is run from, I think it's 1975 all the way till still today. Um, I think my first experience of Rocky Horror was in person, uh, which was really uh, interesting. Um, but that was when I was in college. And, um, you know, I, I love that the the story um, and the message that, that comes across through uh, what some people see as a very... Um, how do I put this? Some people see it as deplorables. Others see it as uh, quite confrontational. However, altogether, you know, it's it's quite um, an interesting and unique production to the theater stage. So um, we're going to go through this um, show uh, tune by tune. So we may not necessarily talk about um, some of the, the acting parts in between. But the first one we're going to discuss is um, the, the lips opening, which is portrayed by uh, Patricia Quinn, um, or actually her lips are Patricia Quinn, but it, it's actually spoken by Richard Bryan, and it comes across as science fiction double feature. So uh, who wants to start with their thoughts on this opening? I guess I'll go first, if that's okay. Um, just a couple of things, and I'll let Hunter just kind of pop in. Um, honestly, y'all, like Mary said it really, really nicely. Um, this is a groundbreaking musical. Um, all over the top. It is insane. Um, but it doesn't start that way, which is really interesting because what, what I really like about this musical, and Hunter knows this, but I love how this musical jumps many genres very quickly over a very small amount of time, which I think really is pretty, 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 pretty crazy. Um, and I like that at the beginning of this, this beginning of this piece, like Mary just said, she has a nice pair of lips. So does the two <laughs> people who are singing this song. And also how it also just shows up how like how nicely and easy and totally relaxed this piece is. You know, it's not gonna like obviously you're not gonna go screaming for the hills from the movie Scream or something, but you know, it, it is spooky, it's different, it's honest. And in a way, I think that the, the opening section of this definitely details exactly what we're going to get. You know, it's like that opening scene where the two grumpy Muppets, I can't remember their names, are just talking uh -oh. about what's about to happen. Yeah. 
And one of the greatest things about this is it, it's just, it's so poppy. It's also kind of folky in a way too. Um, there's some guitar, but my favorite part about this is the uh, saxophone that kind of pops its way in. And I think that kind of kind of revolves around Meatloaf's character and kind of almost kind of tantalizes some of the characters in the show. So it's basically like an overture. Hunter, would you say it's like an overture? Well, yeah, there's definitely elements where it's substituted in for a classic overture. <laughs> yeah, no, I think so too. And uh, I was also kind of throwing you a bone. So whatever you want to oh, say. Okay, about sure. Let, let me, let yeah, me, ahead, yeah that was a nice transition that I totally missed. Um, well, the first thing that, that sort of struck me was it just sounds so quintessentially British. Like this particular song, just there's the 4-4 time, the guitar, the vocal style, everything about it is just very, very British. Like, and that, that punk rock scene, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later on, which was really hitting Britain um, probably just around this time maybe a little bit after um it you could definitely see that was the direction they were moving in and i feel like uh you know tim curry and and the rest of the cast really were like you know what we're just gonna go for it and it, it's gonna right from the top show you that while it might not be an overly um like this this first number might not be overly dramatic or or pushing the envelope at all it, it sort of sets the tone right didn't we talk sort of talk about that in company too? Like how the opening number doesn't really push an envelope, but it just kind of sets the scene. It does. We did talk about. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Mary. I think I think that's one thing that holds true to like musical theater as a whole. Um, you often see that the overture is like a, I don't want to say watered down, but um, a more fundamental version, um, just to to really set the stage. And even when we talk about like orchestral pieces, like on our Tchaikovsky series right now. Um, that the introduction area uh, of any sort of piece of art, it's very much so set to put you in the world of, to, to immerse you in it. And I, I think something that the, this, the science fiction double feature does really well um, is it, it's unassuming um, mm -hmm. compared to what you're going to see through the rest of the, the show. Um, you know, th there's so many different um ideas that are about to be cast and um based on like the the controversial opinions of this over the past like 50 years um which i guess we are going to see a 50th anniversary of rocky horror soon in a few years which is cool but um you know i i think overall it's uh it's really interesting to see something like this still hold true to the entirety of rocky horror um, and I think that the way that, um, Richard O'Brien, like, does this whole opening number, I, it's very unassuming, but it's mysterious, and it wants to, to kind of open the doors for you, but only a peek. So it, it's really a, a neat, um, I think Sean put it as, like, poppy, and I, I like the, the idea of it. It gets you ready to experience more. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say about the opening was uh, just to echo Sean on the saxophone. Um, well, Sean, why do you think that they picked a saxophone to put in? I don't know. I, I Like I said, I, I think it's like the, the mix of genres that really kind of speak to this piece. You can't really define this opening because it's kind of a lot of things. I kind of said folk. I said pop. I said a little bit of rock. Um, we talk about gospel in this a lot too, um, especially in later pieces, um, especially Sweet Transvestite when we get there. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I well, would the, say that's my reason why. Yeah, the, the saxophone struck me, I, if you step back a little bit and consider it outside of Rocky Horror, the saxophone has been a huge part of, um, I mean, jazz history, the, the mm. foundation of, of of the jazz genre in general. Um, it also exists in a lot of pop. Um, it's one of those instruments that that kind of appears in so many different genres where classical music is not necessarily considered. So um, in the same sense that Bernstein used it in West Side Story, I also think that the saxophone here kind of takes you to this almost otherworldly place. It creates, having the saxophone, it, it makes it um, check 
all these different kinds of atmospheres, you know? So it, it definitely opens up uh, the listener to whatever world this is going to end up being, which is really neat. So one of my favorites, you guys want to move on to, to Damn It, Janet? Sure. Huh. <laughs> well, um, I guess I'll start since it's kind of my, one of my favorites. Um, I just, I have to go back to like seeing it in person the first time, but Damn It, Janet coming from um, just like, the original crew like there's a chorus in just the two it's it's the breakdown of the car and um i think this is where we get uh, hunter mentioned you know it's exceedingly british at the opening Mm -hmm. but this is where we see like the human conundrum um (laughs) and uh so this whole tune i think you know the strings and um just the the pure lyrics how uh unadulterated they're becoming even in this first uh first act um you just can't ignore it and um it's we're gonna come back to it a hundred times but all everything about it is over the top so um what did you guys think of this hunter yeah well i think that's that's a very that's a big understatement with this show is i think everything is over the top with this show and that was the intention of it you know what i mean it was like it was intended to be so outlandish in order to to get its point across um it seems like, you know, of all the songs in the show, clearly not the most important in terms of plot. Um, it, it's like a little love ditty, but it's also meant, like you said, to, to portray the characters. But it's also very clear that it is part of the sort of counterculture movement. You know what I mean? It, it, it's It very clearly sets the fact that, you know, we're not really going to give you much relief from, quote unquote, the new age music. You know what I mean? It, it's It's... I think just meant to further that after the opening number, yep, we're going right into another song that while it might be a little bit different, a little bit of a different genre style, but it's still not going to be, you know, grandma's musical. Yeah, they really sell it. <laughs> they really do. You know, they they get clear this is not the King and I. Right, yeah. So I think that's that's the thing that sort of stuck out to me the most. And of course, you know, the the rhyming of the title, which just, you know, it, it's very clever wordplay. Well, they've got it. It's musical theater. And in 1975, wordplay was one of the things that really brought in um, people who were not necessarily musicians when they come to the theater. I think that there was a strong pull, even even at Shakespeare's time, for playwrights to be, uh, you know, um, I think some people go to musical theater to to watch the story and some people go to listen to the music and some people go to see certain performers. So, you know, the wordplay is definitely something to consider. Mm-hmm. And it was also a time where, in general, music theater was starting to fall out of public favor. Um, mm. The golden age of what was considered the golden age of Broadway ended with Fiddler on the Roof, which was almost a decade, well, it was over a decade before this musical came out. Um, and and even the musical film, you know, the film era of music, oh, sorry, the filmed musical was almost completely gone by then. Um, you know, the, the days of MGM were over. And so what wound up happening was I think also people needed to, like you said, Mary, to bring in people who were not necessarily aficionados of theater. They needed to find a way to entice people back. So not only were they pushing, (laughs) pardon? (laughs) Not that I was just going to say, I'm imagining like, um, old elder man on his front lawn. Damn it, Janet. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, Yeah. it makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah, so that's just, that's sort of the thing that struck me most. John, um, I do like this piece, um, and I think that's that's what's interesting about this is uh, it gets back to our roots. One of my favorite roots to talk about. Um, I love I love anticipation and I love climactic moments. Um, how do we get to those climactic moments? Uh, no one ever asked me ever. Um, we get those beautiful scale layer runs. By the strings, you know, it, it kind of adds into the kind of like really uh, corny, romantic sound. And I don't think we got to talk about this a little bit and about the song. But one of my favorite parts is when the the creep, well, some of the creatures from uh, uh, Frankenfurter's house come and they just go, Janet, yes, Janet, you know, yes. 
But but here's the thing, and I, I think this is where it comes interesting, is because they come from Frankenfurter's house, a place where you know anything goes, anyone can have a relationship with anybody, and they choose to be in a very boring, r- regular relationship. And they're just kind of celebrating, yes, they're getting engaged. Oh, Janet, uh-huh, Janet, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's funny because it almost kind of takes the energy out of the piece a little bit. So it's kind of like this nice compare and contrast between the characters who are excited to get married versus those Janet characters who are just not like very enthused about what's happening. So mm-hmm. already fun. creating a very much so us and them. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. um, Anything else anyone wants to say about this one? No, I think we can shift. There's a light. That was a good one. Thank you. That's probably my favorite. I I think one of my favorite songs. It's okay if I can start, Mary. Is that all right? Yeah, go. Okay. Let me just do a little bit of a... um, kind of like a dialogue about how I kind of came to liking this piece was um, there's a really great recording of, uh, so not sure if y'all remember, but Glee did an episode of Rocky Horror. That's probably my first way that I was introduced to Rocky Horror. Um, the same which, I, which I think, yeah, which I think is, I mean, Mary went to see it in person. I think it's pretty cool. But I think for most of people, most young people, they kind of found out about Rocky Horror through media. So I would say, Glee was probably the easiest way to get access to something like that from the 70s. Um, one of the coolest pieces, one of the coolest pieces is, and, and the most kind of amount of like uh, orchestration I find that's kind of involved in this uh, uh, piece is uh, this stumpy beginning by the by the cellos. And it kind of, it's like this night, they're kind of like swamping through the marsh because their car broke down and they don't really know where to go and they're kind of hiding. But my favorite part is, um, my favorite part is, uh, it's kind of like, um, you know what it is? It's interesting. Uh, the lyrics in this song are just so cool. And I love reading them and I love kind of looking into like what that means and exactly what the, what the, um, what that's like. And, thinking about like the movement and and how that really involves in the in the lyrics and if y'all don't mind i want to kind of read a little bit of the lyrics of this piece because i think it's one of my favorites yeah slam poetry let's go i love doing slam poetry i might do a little bit of singing too honestly because i think about it and it almost you know what it is like guys with this first couple of songs it, it honestly feels it feels like poetry it almost feels like the the writing for this is really well um hunter don't don't take offense to this in any way but almost like a sondheimian way where the lyrics really do make make more impact in the music but the that the lyrics are just so beautiful my favorite is the in the velvet darkness of the blackest night burning bright in the velvet darkness of the blackest night burning bright there's a guiding star no matter what or who you are and then there's a light over at the frankenstein place there's a light burning in the fireplace and obviously that can keep going on but hunter the the thing that i want i want to show you is what do you think about this? In the velvet darkness of the blackest night, burning bright, there's a guiding star, no matter what or who you are. And that kind of brings us back to the damn it, Janet, with that old question that Mary had brought up. Um, is it them or they? Were you going to be a part of this, the older system or the newer, more accepting system that's at this, you know, this newer place? Your thoughts, my mind. Well, as you're saying that, I also think it's it. We you don't know it at this point in the show, but it's also a reference to space, like in general. Like it's much more of a, um, 
like literal meaning than they want you to think at that point. Like they think you're just being poetic, but then obviously by the end you find out, oh, it's a little more literal than that. Not at all. I think it's also playful too, but it just, it sets the image so well in your brain. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mary? I agree. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I think that, I mean, going back to the overture a little bit, they definitely knew how to bury the hook and sinker a little bit. Um, and we're just getting little by little each, each new tune we're seeing um, more of what they want us to see. And so Hunter's right when he says, you know, we don't get it yet. There's a lot of stuff in this whole musical that has to do with that. And I, that's one of my favorite things I think about musical theater in general is just the, um, the layering of the plot often um and i think that rocky horror really does a good job at it um this particular tune though um is sean's favorite um the yeah. orchestration of it uh, for me it's the first one i want to dance to really in the whole the whole show like i really liked damn it janet but that was mostly because of the wordplay and in this one I it, like musically, it, it makes me want to get up and like be a part of it. Um, so you're you're starting to get pulled in a little more with this one, I think for sure. Hunter, would you like to introduce the next song? I most certainly can. And the next song happens to be undoubtedly the most famous song from this show, which is uh, the Time War. So, yeah, for those who are now jumping up and down, you know, there. yes, we are doing time work. <laughs> uh, so, I'm curious as to, well, okay, let's start with this. The, f the first thing that strikes me, obviously, I'd heard this song before, so I, I knew the sound of it. But, you know, in thinking about it, it's really like a quintessential early punk rock song. You know what I mean? It's really do, it, it really does typify that particular that particular vibe of the late 70s early 80s particularly in in london and i also feel like how many people don't know the titular line right like let's do the time you know what i mean like we sang it at the beginning um i feel like as many you say that everyone can at least sing that one line so that makes it you know fairly iconic um my other note that i have for it is that there's this female part in the song i don't know who exactly sings it might be just a, a chorus part but ri this ridiculous high note that she's singing and just sort of over the top of everyone like she's in unison with everyone but it's just I think that's magenta is it yeah, i think which would make sense i mean she's the only other she's the only other female other than uh, yeah other than janet right mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Tech. Te yes, that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> enter Tim Curry. So, he, which he will next. But I'll throw it to you two. What do you think about this song? Those were my observations. Mary, you want to go first? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the time warp is, for lack of a better term, it is timeless. Um, yeah, it is the, the overarching thing that people have stuck with. And I think um, one of the biggest things I want to highlight is just that people knowing the Time War versus knowing Rocky Horror are very different things. Yeah. Um, so I think often it's easy to take things out of context like that. And the Time Warp often is. But um, it, it's nice that we're recording this during October and getting the whole Halloween vibe on. Um, and I, I think, you know, just to conclude that that idea, it's just hmm, how do I put this? I thought I had it, but the the time warp is one of those things where it is timeless. It it appeals to everyone, and um, mm. where I saw it in person, this is where this is one of the first tunes where it's most interactive, where this idea of us versus them versus they versus or what um we see a lot of meshing of those lines and so they're like this whole tune is about making it more of an us more than anything i think um and it's also you know that makes sense as to why people remember this one the most um I, in shows when it's done in person um 
people are encouraged to do like to sing along with it. So, um, but let's do the time warp. Obviously, has uh, it will never die. <laughs> It'll stick <laughs> around for ages, and it's nice to have, you know, such a popular tune in a in a music like this. Most musicals have like that number one. Um, like in Hamilton, my shot was the big one. Um, and so you might hear it and then go and look up the rest of it. Um, so I, I guess what I, that's what I'm getting at is that this tune really did a lot to like help bring in more. Yeah, I'm, I, if I can add on to that, just a couple of things. Mary said a lot of things very eloquently. My only thing would be um, they kind of steal the opening lick. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I know Hunter said punk rock, and I think, Hunter, I think why you said punk rock was, it sounds edgy, right? Is that what you're going for? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, the the, the late 70s, early 80s, that was what they were approaching, you know what I mean? It was like... You're talking about British rock, right? And... You're talking about like, uh, like who, who, you have any punk rock like artists in mind or maybe any bands that kind of maybe like like queen or i mean, I mean in my head i was actually thinking the sex pistols but oh yeah yeah yeah, definitely okay yeah not, yeah you know what yeah, i mean yeah. i don't know if you would particular i don't know if you'd classify them as i mean i guess you would classify them as that no i, th I think you're right i mean we had that conversation when we talked about hair right we talked about right. how that you know all those genres are really starting to play into one another and um uh don't forget the the opening part of this the song, guys, is all spoken over the. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, this is Which I think is actually pretty cool, and actually I think what 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 that's really important is it almost has this like because in gospel there's a lot of um, there's a lot of speech involved in singing where you would kind yeah. of talk over music and stuff like that, and like I like we said for the next one, I think that's really important. And also identifying how my favorite part of the song is the end. And we can't really end a really great song with a spiraling chromatic synth sound that just goes, and everyone's just finally tripping balls and falling down. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, God, what happened here? And then that's when uh, Frank DeFleur comes out. So. Talk about it, iconic. I'm sorry, Hunter. I didn't. I don't mean to say tripping balls. I meant to say uh, taking acid. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> trying to find it relatable to the young people. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, yeah. Young people like me who are 150 <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> oh, no. Love it. All right, Hunter. What's the next one, buddy? Next is, as you mentioned, the very, very. Uh, what's what I'm looking for? the uh, eccentric well, entrance <laughs> of Frank Enferder, the, the mad scientist played by the wonderfully hilarious Jim Carrey. Um, and I imagine even at this point, you know, well, not even at this point, I imagine at this point, this must have been a very culturally shocking number. Like, you know, his character in general is just one that is uh, clearly to certain groups highly controversial at this time. Mm -hmm. um, certain, uh, you know, people um, who were probably against a lot of musical theater anyway for just a lot of the things that had been doing over the years. Um, and now this is just like, you know, a nail in the coffin, so to speak. But what's interesting is if you think of the history of England and theater... I can't help but wonder if it was actually less shocking over there because England has such a history of men in drag on the stage that, you know, a lot of the idea of cross-dressing, it, it was meant for, you know, got, only guys could perform on the stage for hundreds of years, right? I mean, it was, That's that was the thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So seeing, okay, yes, he's he's intentionally, he's not playing it for the point of, of being a woman, but he's playing a character who is cross-dressing. Um, so in that, obviously, they probably may have taken um, issue with, but at the same time, when you have something so culturally ingrained, maybe it changes the way you think about it, as opposed to here in the United States, it probably hit differently. And again, I wasn't alive for it, so I wouldn't know. 
Well, I'll just piggyback off of that a little bit. Um, Cause one thing I wanted to talk about with this tune was costuming. Mm -hmm. um, specifically because, I mean, they set out for this show, um, I'm the original writer, the name is escaping me. Um, but when he wrote it, like he wanted it to, to break down certain barriers. And so this first appearance we see of, of, um, of Frank is it's shocking in multiple ways. Um, and the reason I bring up costuming is not necessarily to, to like look at the fishnets and all of that. Um, I think that just, um, first of all, the hair that Jim Curry, uh, you know, the hair fashion of the time, it's big and bombastic and curly and out of the box. Um, it's like a crown in some ways, uh, it very much so, you know, it's meant to be as big as the personality. Um, and the other part of the costume that I wanted to point um, the spotlight on a little bit is, uh, have you guys noticed the, the red triangle that Frank wears? Right. You guys know what I'm talking about? On the red, oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, the red triangle. That actually, um, so the reason he wears the red triangle was during World War II in concentration camps, um, those that were identified as gay um, were marked with a downward facing red triangle. Right. And so um, in, you know, the, the gay movements uh, later on, especially um, in the 70s and later, that red triangle was seen to be worn um, pointed up like Frank has on. And it's it's basically the middle finger to to their reaction of that, taking the triangle and turning it back up. Um, but That's I fun. think that like the addition of that to his costume um, is one of the most uh, blatant ways that we first we first see them kind of poking fun and pointing fingers and saying, "Are you going to be a part of them or us?" So, right. Sean, what did you think about Sweet Transvestite? Oh man, such a great song! Wow. Um, so, so like I said earlier, it has all these really great gospel roots to the song um, because there's these hits. Um, he's kind of sort of uh, singing, sort of talking, in in between that. Um, but my favorite thing while I was doing all my research for this podcast was listening to uh, Laverne Cox sing it, and they were amazing. Mm. Listening to Tim Curry sing it, and that was amazing. Listening to that old Glee recording and listening to the character Mercedes sing it, and that was amazing. But but just kind of, like, enjoying how, like, outlandish, how crazy this song is, um, and, and just enjoying just, like, I think whoever gets to sing this song just really gets to relish in just the character of Frank. And I, 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 I just, I think it's just so amazing. The, the song is just, it's such a, it's such a big number in the piece. And I think it's just, it's, it's this one, like, like we've been talking for, about this forever, but it's over the top. It's insane. It's great. Um, and just listening to all these different artists sing all these different songs, this one in particular, just, has so many different ways that you could do it, listening to Laverne sing it, to listening to how Mercedes sings it, to how Tim Curry sings it. It's just it's it's just all over the place, but it's just it just it kind of gives you goosebumps and just wants to make you to like what Mary had said about getting out of your seat, kind of getting into it and just kind of enjoying the performance of it. It's just so alluring and that's what makes this piece so amazing. I think you have to like recognize the versatility of the role at a oh, certain Oh yeah, point. definitely. Um, I mean, part of the reason that so much of musical theater is portrayed as over the top is to give the performer the, you know, artistic expression parameters that don't exist, you know? Hmm. Um, so yeah. there is no sky's the limit when it comes to portraying uh, Frankenfurter, you know? And, and I think that all of the characters in this particular show, even someone like um, Riff Raff or the butler, um, mm. you know, I, I think that there is no point at which is too much for some of it. Um, mm. And it makes every different performance of it very uh, unique and personal, not only to the performer, but, you know, every experience of Rocky Horror is different, um, which is 
and Hunter, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had that really amazing conversation with Chris Cucuruto about how there's just nothing you can do about when you take things too far. You can just keep going and going, and that's what the song does so well. Yeah, I mean, when you take something to make it so outlandish, and, and, and you know, we were talking about the producers at the time, um, and that's another example of, you know, he's, you know, Mel Brooks is a Jewish man who was writing a play about people putting on a play about Hitler, right? I mean, it's like, and that obviously in the play, the point is they hope people get offended. And in real life, you know, Mel Brooks was obviously hoping people understood that he's making fun of it. He's not endorsing it, you know? And it was so outlandish. The guy who plays Hitler is so outlandish. In this case, the guy playing all the, the people playing the roles are so outlandish that you can't help but buy into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in in the producers, it's different because you want people to, or he wants people to laugh at what he's doing, right? Not follow the, the in-show audience's reaction where they get offended at first. Um, you know right off the bat that it's supposed to be this ridiculous thing, especially when you see the cast of characters he's lined up to put on the play. In this, you're hoping that, you know, the audience is just gonna see the, as you said, outlandish nature of it, Right. And just buy into it, saying like, okay, that's just in this world, that's how they are. Right. And I think that almost leads us a really great way in, in maybe discussing the next piece, the sort of uh, Democles. Democles. Um, Hunter knows Democles very well. No, I'm kidding. Um, we, we, were buddies. About, we were very close buddies. Democles being, I believe, kind of like this very muscular Greek figure, right? He was the um, he was a courtier in the uh, court of Dionysus or Dionysus, however uh, you prefer to uh, say it. And um, he and the king Dionysus was uh, trying to prove a point to him about ruling because he said how wonderful it must be to rule. Mm -hmm. And then he sat in his chair. He said, "Please, why don't you try?" And so Damocles sat in his chair. And above his chair sat a sword hung by a very thin strand, a very thin strand of horse's hair, and it was meant to represent the constant danger lurking above anyone who sought to rule. Very meta so little fable. Very, very metaphorical in a way, don't you think? Very metaphorical. So, do you want to talk a little bit? Because I didn't really have a lot about this piece. I again, um, I had written down. Uh, I thought that this piece kind of reminded me of that Beach Boy kind of poppy sound, uh, kind of continuing in that sort of poppy-ish, folkish fashion. And um, but playful, but um, goes through the comedy. That's what I wrote down for this piece. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's, he's using a metaphor, but I mean, it's, it, it's obviously, it's poking fun at the whole situation. But I also think, just like with the opening number, mm. there's a, if you re-watch the show, it takes on a different meaning because clearly Frank's position is being held by a thread. These are not supposed to stay there. The other two want to go home. So it's like, you know, there is a, there is a connection back to the original, uh, the metaphor. And that's why it's titled that the biggest thing I noted about it is that it starts with this very old British sound with the harpsichord. You know, it has, they start in that very typical harpsichordians, you know, uh, the old Baroque way. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned gospel. Well, this one has a very gospel sound to it. And then there's the recitative where they're speaking over it, or rather it's being sung at a very, uh, ad lib pace. Right. Um, almost to the point where it sounds like speaking. Mary? Yeah. Um, I definitely liked, uh, this tune, but it's one of those that like sets apart from the rest. Very um, much so. And um, I, I have to, I, I just can't ignore Sean's use of Beach Boy, <laughs> Beach Boys, like through a bunch of these tunes. It's definitely like the, the follow through to this, this kind of genre that they're setting up so far. And I think that um, this in particular one, after a tune like Sweet Transvestite, you can't do anything too serious. And so they took that and it <laughs> as they kind of add to um you know 
I don't have the lyrics pulled up, so maybe Sean can do slam poets. Poet again. Oh, you want me to be a but, little bit of slam poetry? Yeah, but Sword of Damocles has some some really neat uh, little quips in there, for sure. Sure. Let's see. Here we are. Okay. So the Sword of Damocles, sung by the narrator, sung by Rocky. Um, here it is. Let's see if I can pull up the uh, lyrics. Here we go. The sound, the sword of, the sword of, the sword of, the sword of, the sword of Damocles is hanging over my head, and I've, sorry, I kind of lost my voice. No, it's okay. Oh, and I've got the feeling someone's going to be cutting the thread. Oh, woe is me. My life is a mystery. Oh, can't you see that? I'm at the start of a pretty big downer. That line, I'm at the start of a pretty big downer. That's the one I wanted to hear. Sure. Um, but I, this whole tune, like, first of all, it is sung by the narrator, which I think is really cool. Um, you don't often see that in a lot of uh, shows like this. Um, but the, the idea of this particular tune being sung by someone who's supposed to be outside of the fourth wall um, it's one thing to kind of, you know, twiddle your thumbs at, I think. Um, but s simply because it's it's not meant to be serious. So doing it with the narrator at that point, it allows that fourth wall to be completely shattered in a lot of ways. Um, because, you know, at this point, the audience is wanting to, they're, they're, they're wanting to see more. Um, and so they take that, that idea of the the silliness and they really like drive it home with this tune. Right. So, but um, I just, I, I liked this tune a lot. I think it definitely is in the right place. Sometimes when you listen to musicals, it feels like a number in the second act belongs like way earlier, but this one definitely like makes the most sense right after Tweet Princess type. Right. And then we get to, I can make you a man uh, Frank with Brad, Janet, Riff Raff, Magenta, and Columbia. And I think sort of in that same kind of vein, a lot of these songs kind of just kind of keep rolling off of the other, kind of continuing, and just Frank is just kind of singing about how he wants Rocky to be fit. And Hunter, kind of back to that whole harpsichord thing, it has this kind of classical mentality in this first piece. And more piano... Uh, then slowly kind of turns into this funky jazz, straight-ahead rock feel. and But it also has this kind of playful sexiness that, that Frank adds to this, this song. Hunter? Yeah, I mean, it's a song that I think um, is meant to... You know, it, it, it's clear that they've introduced this character, right? This You've got this now Rocky character, right? And... He is very different from um, Frank, yeah. but Frank and Rocky both are so different from everyone else. So I feel like, you know, it's a song meant to sort of set them apart more from as if as if Tim Curry could be set apart more from anyone else. Um, but it's meant to set them apart more from the rest of the group. Only then to have them upstaged by the introduction of another character in the song after it. Right, yeah. Mary? Um, sorry, the, the Skype glitched for a minute. What did Hunter just say? How can I piggyback off of you? Huh. What I had said was the, um, the song was meant to set two very uh, oddball characters apart from the very normal couple. Um, and then they're both upstaged by another even um, even odder character. Mm. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going for. Um, well, I, this is just more of the, the same. We're starting to raise the bar, raise the bar, raise the bar until the roof is knocked off. And there is, there is no too high or too loud or too big. Um, but, I, you know, this is one of the ones I can make you a man. It's not my most memorable when it comes to rocky horror um but i do think it poses um some interesting questions just as you watch like frank interact with rocky um and uh <laughs> i think you know it's there is a bit of irony to it because um 
they're not uh, expanding the box in the same way we've seen in the previous tunes. Um, it's I think Sean might have put it a little more classical. Um, so we That's see nice. this, yeah, this dichotomy of um, it, it, it is classic, more classical, yet they can still have you know these much higher expectations or lack thereof. There is no too much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I liked this one, but in general, it wasn't my favorite. I'll be sure. honest. And then we continue that, like Hunter had said, about Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul. I believe the other name of this song is uh, Oh, Whatever Happened to Saturday Night? Uh, including that is very important. Um, I'll, I'll kind of say my quick piece about it. Um, introduce Meatball, the late Meatball, the great Meatball. Um, also... Oh, sorry, Jesus. Um, Meatloaf. They were making bad. a joke. Wow, that was really bad. Um, <laughs> I wrote introducing Meatball exclamation point. That was really sad. Nice job. I love it. I nice saw job. That. Nice job, really. That, that should be his new name. Yeah, and then I wrote it again. I wrote Meatball with his saxophone and his outrageous energy. Wow, good job, Sean. You just wanted Italian food. I really, yeah. was, you know what? <laughs> That's right. I had a salad and I was really hungry. So. Um, so that's what happened. No. Um, so basically I think it's a way for Meatloaf to kind of, kind of show his explosive, crazy nature as this uncle Eddie to, uh, Frank. And, uh, obviously Frank has his, uh, qualms about uncle Eddie, but it's, it's honestly, it's just kind of funny. And it's, it's just kind of back to that old ro sound of rock and roll hunter that, that hopefully yeah. kind of gets back to that kind of picture and, uh, and yeah, that's kind of what I thought about this piece. It really didn't kind of, again, jump off the page, but it, it was definitely a character piece for Meatloaf. Uh, Mary? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a crowd oh, pleaser sorry, song, right? Yeah, it is. Honestly, crowd, it is. That's, that's yeah. the point of it, right? It's a crowd pleaser, yeah. and that's what is supposed to upset uh, Frank, is that it is, it, it is pleasing the crowd more than he was at that moment. So, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you get more energetic than this song? Right, yeah. Uh, Mary? Well, what, what Hunter was saying where, you know, it's it's meant to have bothered Frank. Um, the show is written in a way to keep expanding this box. Um, you know, they've got to one-up each other. Oh. So I, it's it's really neat, um, especially because, like, it's given a reprise. <laughs> like, <laughs> right after Hot Patootie, they go back into I'll Make You a Man, but, you know, with the same idea as Hot Patootie. So I, yeah. I think they you know, make it so that you cannot ignore, that Frank cannot ignore it. So, um, and just yeah. watching how he responds, I think it chalks it up to this whole number. And I felt like the next song, the uh, the reprise of I Can Make You a Man, almost is like Frank trying to get everybody's attention, like, you should be focusing on me, not my stupid cousin. You know, like, talking about, like, how... Uh, um, how he just wants to, like, take care of uh, Frank and he... Well, well, Frank wants to take care of Rocky, I mean, and, and just how, like, his relationship becomes a little bit more sexy between him and Rocky, but uh, that's that's the road that eventually uh, Frank wants to go down. Hunter? Yeah, I mean, we all know later on, you know, he, he has his way with both of the other two. Um, so it's funny that this angers him so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it bothers him. He's just clearly a character based totally on impulse, Frank. Which is, which is his point. I mean, that is the point of his right. character, and that's why he, it doesn't end up so well for him. Um, but it is funny in the moment. Like, he gets so upset over this, and then to the point where, like, okay, he kills him, yeah. right? He, I mean, he, he um, kills Meatloaf, yep. a.k.a. Yeah. Meatball, yeah. and... <laughs> <laughs> it's been out for almost 50 years, though. <laughs> Um. So I don't know. It's just it's just there's a there's a comedic element to like this number every number in the show. Right. Right. Uh, Mary. Yeah, I just I I don't really have anything to add about that one. Um, okay. Do you guys want to go ahead and wrap up the first act with? Um, I would love to. I'd love to. Uh, and uh, please mind my uh, Greek philosophy and way of me reading this next part. Touch-a, 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 touch me. By Janet with Magenta, Columbia, Rocky, Brad, 
Frank and Riff Raff. Um, yes, the title is sexual. Yes, we get that. Um, yes, it's very funny. Um, it is super poppy, just kind of like Damn It, Janet, in that it is kind of like, uh, it's, it's really funny. It's kind of over the top. Um, but honestly, guys, I, the only thing that in this piece that like makes my day is yes, the song is really funny. There's a lot of touching. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of, uh, for Hunter's sake, gyration. No kidding. Um, there's a lot of sakes of movement and stuff like that. But what, what I think makes this piece so funny to me is while they're, you know, doing stuff, they have these visions of all these characters coming to them. And while the stuff is happening to Rocky and um, Janet, all the other characters are, are saying, creature of the night. But like within that phrase, they're, they're paraphrasing it in different ways. But my favorite aspect of that is that they ask the character to kind of like say it in your own way. Some of them ask us as a question, creature of the night. That's usually what Brad's doing, asking questions more than kind of saying what he's thinking and stuff like that. So I think in a way there's a little bit of um, pull and difference. And uh, there, that's what I think makes this so unique is that um, it kind of showcases each individual character's flaws and tendencies. Yeah, I, it's I, also a kick-ass song, but I, but that's what I wanted to share. No, I, I like that, especially because like this is being the back to one, basically, or you know they're um they're starting to wind back down a little bit and getting ready to ramp back up. Um, but I I think this tune in particular, one thing I really wanted out of it that I didn't get, um, if I'm going to critique it slightly, is I just wanted one more little sweet anticipation quote from Jim Perry. Mm. Why did I say Jim? I'm thinking of, um, yeah, yeah, it's been a long day, but, um, you know, when I listened to this, cause in the original, he waited like 15 seconds for anticipation and sweet transvestite. I've always really wanted like a reprise of that moment at some point. And for me, I thought it would always work really well right here during mm. that. Mm. So, uh, that was one thing I, I really wish I could have seen was one more little anticipation joke. Um, but I think overall, like this one, it, it's it's hilarious, and the the juxtaposition of uh, the creature of the night stuff that happens in it, um, it, it it gets you ready for like a short curtain. Oh yeah. So I think they definitely prep the the audience to like process what just happened for the last six tunes. Right, I was gonna say because a lot does happen. Hundred mm -hmm. right. so and you. I'm sorry, Mary. And Hunter, you've experienced this song. No, okay. Hunter, you've, uh, no, I'm saying that, but I'm saying that you, uh, you have, no, I'm kidding. Uh, tell me about, <laughs> tell me about what you think about this number. Well, I mean, this, it, it's, uh, what's her name singing it, right? It's, uh, uh, Janet and I think Janet's singing it. Yeah. And she's being backed by all the, you know, the, the female things. The tempo picks up, you know, she's, it signals her excitement. And I love the, the way that the, background figures sing like the more 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 and down 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 but it's just so lackluster like like you were saying any from the beginning sean yeah. uh like they just they couldn't care any less like no, they're no, singing they and they're just like okay can we move on like okay yeah. exactly like she wants it but okay what else <laughs> yes all the time I just, I, that's what i found so funny. yeah and What's also interesting is, too, um, Hunter, we're going to take a break. What do you think about that, buddy? <laughs> I think that's also really interesting. Yeah. He's stole my thunder a little bit. I was Oh, I'm so good. No, it's okay. Game. I'm just going to here with, you know, I can feel the anticipation um, of this break, which is sponsored by Anchor. Thank you so much. Um, and if you would like to support our podcast, please just go to anchor.com and search Music Speaks Podcast to find ways to reach out to us. Um, and you'll find our social media and ways that you can contribute to this podcast. So um, we will see you after our break. Thank you very much to the Rocky Horror Picture Show for its enduring legacy in the annals of uh, musical theater history. 
um, and really just as its lasting cultural impact. So I guess that's sort of where I want to leave off with you guys. Final, uh, well, I sort of just stole Mary's thunder here, but I'll pose the question to you both. Um, you, in your mind, what is the lasting cultural impact of this show? Sean, do you want to go first? Do you want me to? That's a loaded question. Um, but I'll but I'll say this. Hunter, it always feels like whenever we talk about musicals, we always tie it into real life. And I think that just means that there's just always more to tell. You know, we're never really done. Mm-hmm. I think we're never done. That's that's just that's just what life is like. I mean, honestly, we're always looking to be better. We're always looking for the next thing. We're always looking to, to the future. But we can't look to the future without looking to the past. So, in a way, it is pretty groundbreaking because it does all the things that you know we talked about. Maybe you and I had talked about in Hair about how it jumping several decades through mm-hmm. random areas of music. But also just because of the characters themselves. I mean, honestly, I just can't think of anybody more like like a Frankenfurter. I mean, just that character is just so unique and so different and so honest, and honestly can be such a big, you know, hero to those uh, who celebrate LGBTQIA stuff. So I think that's just so amazing and so wonderful and can be so exonerated and just honestly just so different, you know, and just be so cool for so many people yeah for me too the i mean the message that i get from rocky horror is um don't dream it be it go and be that person that you wish to see and you know you can you see that in mottos of philanthropies anywhere be the change that you want to see in the world be the light you know um to constantly be working towards this um ideal which is very interesting because I think that the other thing that Rocky Horror does well is that ideal is not normal. Um, and like the ideal person for everyone is truly personal and to to really listen to that inner part of yourself. And for me, I really wish that other versions had superheroes because that's where I got a lot of it. Um, and so I think that there's a whole kind of in the in the show a little bit when it comes to really directly stating that um and in certain versions that is but um thankfully here on music speaks we look at you know the whole of things when we can and um rocky horror just in general it it inspires it scares it um (laughs) you know it makes people generally uncomfortable so that or it you know i think that was the, the common conception of it was it you know it's meant to to take people out of their box of comfort and show them what is outside of it so that they can choose um more informed and and chase you know whatever it is that they want in life and so i you know for me i think that it's it's much so an inspiration even today you know 40 years later yeah mm-hmm. you, you know if i can add one last thing before we before we exit is um hunter we talked about perks of being a wallflower mary yeah i think we did much. but um in the book and in the movie they highlight the the show the rocky horror picture show um and in the show it it, it honestly shows this character who feels like he hasn't been noticed it feels like he's getting put in the background he's not getting enough attention that there is a place for everybody and i think that's just that's so that's so humanitarian and just so honest about about life is that yes we can feel different but we should be able to celebrate that and that's also what i kind of want to do with this podcast especially with y'all too like how we we don't want to specifically work on one thing yes i love classical music hunter loves early broadway mary loves everything in between but i'm just saying that when we talk about all these different kinds of music we don't specifically talk about one kind but we celebrate all kinds of music and all kinds of people and everything everywhere so and that's just something that makes it such a wonderful musical to talk about mary what do you want to say i just wanted to add one thing because like we we see this this depiction everywhere but like there's a place for mm. 
you know it's it's everywhere this this constant communal feeling um of finding identity and um camaraderie and humanity and so i you know thanks rocky horror this was a really good way to to put it so we want to thank you again rocky horror for being your fabulous self for being your groundbreaking and honest individual being and of course my name is sean ramkunas i'm mary haddix hermans and my name is hunter sagona and we will see you next time and remember to keep listening to what you love job yeah okay so you know i just want to say this before y'all go but um y'all are too good at this you don't need me anymore uh you guys are you guys are so good well i'm maybe not that but i meant to say like you guys are just so good at reading cues just understanding things um hunter the way you talked about that last piece man oh yeah oh my god man that's why i was like i have nothing you got (laughs) You got, you got fire in those veins, man. Oh, thanks. Those veins, man. Yeah. I'm so proud. Of, I'm, I'm so proud of all of y'all guys. I, I mean, honestly, this this team. I feel like uh, I should be doing the same thing here. Everyone's no, doing this. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so proud of everybody making the effort to, to do all these amazing things. Hunter, would you mind just stopping the recording for a second? Sure. I probably should have done that. So I can go. uh...